Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. But I want to start this message by pointing out that the last several messages that, that I delivered would have been perfectly okay, maybe in some cases a little bold, uh, but they would have been perfectly okay in practically any mainline denominational church, at least in America. Last week did a message on milestones, time to celebrate, a time to remember. A couple of weeks before was created for good works. That was from Ephesians chapter 2. Before that, it was investing in the future, which was essentially a message on evangelism. Now, I'm not saying every single detail of those messages would be acceptable among the Methodists or the Lutherans or the Baptists or whoever, but honestly, I can't think of anything in them that would raise a genuine doctrinal flag. So let me start there. And you know this. You know practically everything I'm going to say today. I'm just putting it together, maybe in a little bit different order. And hopefully some light bulbs will go off. We don't exist as a church to oppose or compete with any other body of believers. Okay? I know there are many church leaders across the country and around the world who are doing what they do with no call on their lives and perhaps no relationship with God. How many of you have ever known a preacher who wasn't saved or you're pretty sure wasn't saved? I have. Have you? Uh, Some, it's just a job. But I I believe, I at least like to believe, that a majority of occupational ministers are in the business, as it were, because of a genuine call of God on their lives. They feel truly called to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, And I can tell you that here in St. Joe, we have a contingent of ministers who really do love the Lord, who really do know Jesus, even if we differ on certain particulars and I know this is elementary for many of you, but, but some of you might think from time to time, well, if that's true, why don't we just unite as one big church? Let's just go under the banner of Christ. Let's pick a name that's neutral enough that we can all gather under, since we all love the Lord. Uh, wouldn't that be a greater testimony to the community and to the world at large? Here, you got, you got however many Christians in St. Joe, how many church-attending Christians in St. Joe. You all say you serve the same God, you love Jesus, uh, you believe in the finished work of the cross, and yet there are five churches. Why? If you all believe the same thing, why are you competing with one another? Again, we're not competing with one another. Because, see, I also remember growing up in one of those denominational churches. So do many of you. And I thank God for the framework that was provided for me. Not just in church, this was provided at home as well. But they they did provide a biblical framework for my worldview. I was raised believing in God, believing that the Bible was God's word. But by the grace of God, I was finally made to understand what it meant to be born again. And not long after that, I benefited greatly from being part of a family uh, that pursued the truth of the Word of God, including the present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, shorthand, some people say, uh, this church doesn't even believe in the Holy Ghost. Well, that's really not true. Most of them embrace the doctrine of the Trinity. They believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What they don't believe is in the gifts of the Spirit for today. Uh, and sometimes, uh, you can't read too much into this, uh, and sometimes I'll, I'll spend an hour just clicking on different church websites to read their statement of faith. And there, there, there's a formula that most of them follow. You can hit the about us, and then you hit our beliefs, uh, or statement of faith, and it'll say, we believe, and then it'll say, about God, about man, about the Bible, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit. And I always skip straight, straight down to the Holy Spirit to see what they say. Now, and it might be something as simple as, because some of them give a long, I mean, it'll just be page after page. They want you to know everything they believe, and they'll include 20 different scriptures for each paragraph, and that's fine. But some of them are, they're just bullet points, uh, because they just, you know, they, they, they want to keep it neat and clean. There's not a right or a wrong way, but sometimes, sometimes you can read between the lines, and sometimes you can't. So if it's just short, and it says, the Holy Spirit uh, empowers believers for Christian living. Is that true? Yes. Is it the whole truth? No. It does more than that. Or maybe it just, maybe it just needs to be expanded some. But if you read a long description of what they believe about the Holy Spirit, and it says nothing about the gifts, if they list 30 scriptures about the Holy Spirit and don't list 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you can just about guarantee that is a cessationist church. That is a church that ignores or, per, in, in some cases, actively preaches against the modern-day activity or ministry of the Holy Spirit when it comes to the supernatural gifts. Okay? Now, and if you think, well, but as long as everybody believes in Jesus and more or less believes the Bible, isn't that enough? You ought to have a conversation with, with Greg and Darla sometime. And think about the details you believe about the Holy Spirit don't matter in your Bible school or in your church. It's an eye-opener. I'll come back to that in a minute. I don't want to spend a whole message retelling that part of my testimony or really the origin of living word. Uh, but I remember when Dad uh, first sensed the call to preach. And the only route that he even knew to pursue at that time was to go through a lay speaker program at our local denominational church. So he went through that, and then he was able to fill a pulpit here and there. But I'm so glad he didn't stop there. He began to be exposed to teaching, Bible teaching, that wasn't limited by certain traditions, specifically where it concerned the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I don't have the timeline memorized, but I am telling you this, and my sisters can back me up on this. My mom can too. This is long before Dad hauled the family off to Ramah in Broken Arrow. Uh, there were several couples that used to gather in our home and listen to teachings. Nobody knew enough about the Bible to lead a Bible study, and so they didn't even call them Bible studies. They called them tape sessions. And everybody would come together. They'd put a cassette in to somebody who knew more about the Bible than they did, and they'd listen to it talk about it. Long before Ramah, it was standard practice in our home for mom and dad to lay their hands on us when we were sick. It's just something we came to expect or even ask for. Now, my friends weren't doing that. I can't think of one friend outside of the handful 
who, who eventually became part of Living Word, it would have been the weirdest thing. And I, I, I'm thinking of the, the, the guys I hung out with in junior high. I could not imagine when, hey, I'm sick. Dad, would you lay your hands on me and pray for me? Now, now doesn't it seem, it seems weird in a church like this that that would seem weird. But that would seem weird to most of the people I knew back then. What? You're sick? Take some medicine. Go to the doctor. Lay hands on me. We were taught early on in our exposure to the Bible that God heals. And that, that's the particular thing I want to focus on today and for maybe another week or two for a number of reasons. I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we have taught and I have taught many times over the years on them but even though gifts of healing is one of the nine gifts listed here, what we call, what we can legitimately call the doctrine of divine healing is kind of in a class by itself because of its prevalence in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, let's, let's start here in Exodus chapter 15. Exodus 15. beginning in verse 22. Exodus 15, 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. <laughs> and the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, there he, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians." For I am the Lord who heals you. Now this phrase, I am the Lord who heals you, is literally, I am Jehovah Rapha. And it's one of the well-known names of God. Jehovah Jireh, God provides, right? Jehovah Tzidkenu, uh, God our righteousness. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. Jehovah Shama, the God who is there. Jehovah Shalom, God our peace. And many more. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord heals. And this is important. The reason I want you to see that is this isn't just a matter of something God can do. This isn't just a matter of something God does. It is a, it is a crucial part of who he is. This is what he says. I am Jehovah Rapha. Now, there's no sense pretending that God never made anyone sick. I've heard that taught. I've probably taught it in the past, but he says right here, I will put none of the diseases on you that I brought on the Egyptians. We'll look at a scripture, not today, where he says, I will make you sick. And we'll talk about what that means and when God did that. 
but he identifies himself, he, but he doesn't ever call himself, I am the Lord who makes sick. Who he is is the God who heals. It's part of his nature. And this is the foundation of every other line of reasoning when it comes to discussing divine healing, especially when we look at the ministry of Jesus. And the ministry of Jesus is why I believe we need to focus regularly on the doctrine of healing because it was such a prevalent part of his ministry. You know, there are things we can, we can look at, and there are obviously topics we need to return to time and time again. Uh, but healing is one of those that we really need to keep at the forefront. It's like, well, come on, there's more stuff than healing. Of course there is. And we pray for the sick. We make prayer for the sick available after every service, or almost every service. But it's, think about what Jesus did. Look, when you read the Gospels, what did he do everywhere he went? He taught, he preached, he healed. Now we teach and we preach, and healing needs to be a part of our message, just like it was Jesus, a, a big part of our message. Okay. Uh, as I said at the beginning of this message, there is plenty of stuff that Jesus did and taught besides healing, and we preach and teach that stuff too, but then why did I say what I said about these different churches, about unity and all that? You probably know this, but all, when we look at different denominations, you probably know this, but they all started essentially because of a disagreement over a particular doctrine. Certain doctrines over the years became uh, were called into question. You know, most famously, I mean, the big split, you know, a split between Catholicism and Protestantism when, when Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the door of the church in Wittenberg. Uh, Say, here's what's wrong. <laughs> here's what we're doing as a church that biblically, I believe, is wrong. Um, but they disagree with doctrines. Somebody will come up and say, and, and often, you know, Believe God was in it. Yeah, I think this church is ignoring this, and it's a central doctrine of the Scriptures. Or I think the church is emphasizing something here that is not a doctrine in the Scriptures. And so there's a split because there's no correction. But there's a well-known quote, and nobody seems to know who it originated with. It's been attributed to Augustine. It's been attributed to Wesley, and there's quite a few years between those two guys. But it probably was somebody else. But here it is. In Essentials, Unity... In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity or love. And that's, a, and that's good guidance, but let, let's be honest. <laughs> Here's what we tend to focus on. Here's what we argue about. What are the essentials? Unity in the essentials. Liberty in the non-essentials. Love in everything. Okay, then what is essential? If we're going to break fellowship, what are we going to break fellowship over? Now, I can call myself an ally, and we can call ourselves an ally uh, as a church with other churches on the issue of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the Trinity, the dignity of human life, and a host of other things. We can express unity and even worship together meaningfully as we celebrate the truths that we hold in common. This is when we get together as the local Christian churches for the Thanksgiving service. Good example of that. Here's the difference. I cannot join myself to a body of believers in regular service, regular teaching, and regular prayer if they deny the gifts of the Spirit. Because when I pray, 
I pray a certain way based on my understanding of what the Holy Spirit has revealed in Scripture and to me. You're calling us to pray. If we pray together as a body, we ought to be rooting our prayers, basing our prayers on something we all understand and agree. I've shared this story before. I'll share it again because it's a perfect illustration. When I was attending uh, a non-Word of Faith church, this was shortly after I left Canaan land. I was living in Indiana, and it was a good church. Uh, it was a Christian Missionary Alliance church, great denomination, uh, and uh, with, with great Holy Ghost roots, by the way. Uh, and this was a, uh, I just, not that it matters much, it was kind of a white-collar church. Uh, I was a blue-collar guy, but I got along with these guys and uh, with these families. And, uh, and this was a church that really loved the Word of God, and it was a pastor that really knew how to pray. And there was a family uh, in that church uh, who had a, a young child, I think, uh, I think a seven-year-old, who was diagnosed with cancer. And they were exploring the doctrine of healing, and they told the pastor, and he gave him his blessing. They were going to take some time off and visit different churches uh, and actually uh, have hands laid on uh, this little girl. I think it was a little girl. Uh, because they just wanted to be open to any way that God desired to heal her. And the pastor shared this with us, and he says, we want to we be a part of this too, uh, let's, and he has us all stand around the sanctuary. We all joined hands in one big circle as a church family. And he led us in a beautiful prayer for healing for this girl. And I was getting excited listening to this. As he said, you are the one who says, I'm the God that heals you. You are the one who loves us. We know that those stripes were laid on Jesus' back for healing. And we're like, so this is what we're asking you for, Lord. And then he said this, but Lord... Uh, if it's your desire that she dies of this disease, then help us to, to accept that and help her family to accept that uh, as your will. And I'm just like, it was just like somebody let all the air out of that balloon. Now, do these things happen and do we need strength? We've, most of us have been through it. Probably all of us have been through it. But the prayer of faith is still the prayer of faith. There's still an expectation it's perfectly legitimate to ask and, and to scratch our heads and even cry out, Lord, I did believe, I prayed this way, this didn't happen, why? And maybe he'll show us why, maybe we'll figure it out in heaven, maybe by the time we get there it won't matter to us. But meanwhile, we are told how to pray and what to believe. And we don't change those things based on our experiences. I'm getting a little off track here, but that drives me nuts probably as much as anything else when people want to criticize charismatic churches Word of faith church, oh, you're all about experiences instead of the word of God. If I were going to base my faith on my experiences, I might have abandoned word of faith by now. But I'm basing it on the word of God. I don't change my prayers. I don't change my doctrine, my teaching, my life because of things that, that I don't understand. And that was a little, I overstated that. I've really seen enough. I have seen more than enough of God's word manifestly coming, being, being fulfilled in my life. Uh, to, to, to absolutely encourage me to keep moving that direction. Okay? But, uh, yeah, we, we, we continue to say and do and live and speak and pray and expect according to what God has said, regardless of the circumstances, right? All right, so, let me get back to this. When we look at the doctrine of healing, 
So, so I made that clear, right? It's not that I, I want to slam the Methodists or the Baptists or the Lutherans or the Church of Christ, it's, and, and I love them, and I can fellowship with them. I just can't join myself, and I could never encourage somebody to join themselves to a body of believers who believes. Praise God, it's better than nothing. All I'm saying is, I'm not going to say, as long as you pick a church, it doesn't matter, because sometimes it matters. And if, it could be a life or death. I'm not going to encourage somebody to go to a church that doesn't believe in healing, that doesn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, because these things are for us. Now, when we look at the doctrine of healing, though, we're not just looking at the gifts in operation. There's practically no Christian that believes God never performs miracles, even miracles of healing. Let me switch gears here for a second. I was listening. This has been a number of years ago, too. Uh, but not as many. I think this was in the last five or six years. I was listening to a well-known pastor, young guy, of a large Baptist church, uh, who was well-known for his love of Scripture and his, he had a real gift of expository teaching. And he was uh, a very, he was a scholar, a real student of the Word. And uh, he was sharing with his congregation, he was uh, about the gifts he was reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I was very interested, because he was a Baptist, what he was going to say. And so he read the passages, and then came and said, you know, people ask, he says, one of the most common questions is, are tongues for today? He was talking about tongues, not healing in this case. He says, they ask for, are tongues for today? He says, well, we just read what we read. He says, and we can't, no honest reader of Scripture who just read what we read can ever come to the conclusion that tongues is done away with. And I'm like, wow, I'm wondering how this is hitting his congregation. He says, so the question is, not, is it real? The question is, is it normative? And then went on to conclude that it's not. That if we're going to be honest readers of the Bible, we have to admit that it exists and it's for today, but it's the exception, not the rule. Now, what's he basing that on? How do you skip over, I wish that you all spoke with tongues? I thank God I speak with tongues more than you all. It's, again, it's, it, there's, you're locked into a certain tradition. This is somebody who says, I, who basically, and, this, and I went to a church full of people like this. I love the Word of God, and I'm not going to die, deny what it says, Therefore, I will say, doctrinally, I believe in the gifts, but please, Lord, don't lay any of them on me. That certainly was not the case when Paul was writing that stuff, that the gifts were to be the exception and not the rule, Right? More importantly, it was not the case with Jesus. We'll talk about this more in the next week or so, but many, many believers approach the miracles of Jesus like this. Jesus did what he did to prove he was who he said he was. Okay, and the miracles, including his healing, certainly did uh, serve that function, serve that purpose, but Jesus himself refuted that notion when he refused to do any miracles on demand, as it were. Look at this, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, let me try to get through this. I've still got a couple things to say before we pray. Uh, Matthew 16, beginning in verse 1. 
Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Now he had a perfect opportunity to prove he was who he said he was by doing a miracle, miracle of healing. They, they came to him as a group and said, do a sign from heaven. He could have just said, which one of you is suffering some sickness? Or maybe he could have just operated in the word of knowledge. You, Sadducee, come here. Let me see that withered hand. Let me open that blind eye or that deaf ear. But he didn't, did he? When they asked him to do something for a sign, he said, no. It's a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. Uh, that's not why he did what he did. I'm thinking now of when, when he healed, uh, when he raised from the dead Jairus' daughter. He went up there, and what's the first thing he did? Kicked everybody out. Now, if, if the reason he did the miracles he did was to prove something, why didn't he ask more people to come in? This wasn't his primary purpose for healing or doing any miracle. John chapter 5, verse 19 you can turn there really quick if you want, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. John 5, 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Do you see how huge that is? When we look at the healing ministry of Jesus, whether he healed an individual or the multitudes brought their sick and he, what? Healed them all. And you connect that to Jesus saying, I don't do anything except what I see my Father doing. Now it's powerful enough to hear him say, as he did, what, whatever the Father tells me, I do. But he says, I do what I see my Father doing. And when Jesus heals them all, what does he see the Father doing? Healing them all. I've shared this quote at least a dozen times. This is from George MacDonald. The miracles of Jesus were the ordinary works of his Father, wrought small and swift that we might take them in. Jesus never did anything that his Father isn't in the habit by nature of doing. Why did Jesus heal? Because God is Jehovah Rapha. We're not getting deep into it today. The main thing I want to do today is lay my hands on the sick. Ordinarily, in other, if, if I were preaching today, tonight, and tomorrow night, I would say, if at all possible, wait until tomorrow night before you come up here and let me pray for you. But if you're fighting something now, I don't want you to wait three weeks till the end of this teaching. We'll get there in just a minute. I do believe God has instructed me to do this today. I just wanted to give you a little background before we prayed, and it all boils down to this for today. It is not enough to believe God can heal. It is not enough to believe that God does heal. We need to understand and believe that it is God's will to heal. We need to understand that to be in faith for healing, we must know that the healing we seek is the healing that God desires for us. 
say, well, it's obviously not God's will to heal everybody all the time. Yeah, I think it is. But we have to look at it in this context. If you've got a child who is struggling, whether they're sick, whether they're broke, whether they're spinning their wheels, whatever, uh, we're going through a little of that. Our kids aren't where we want them to be. Well, what's my heart? Is that they be physically well, that they be well provided for, that, they be, that they're succeeding. But Beth and I have made a decision, and, and for, for instance, I'm not going to go into any detail, that there's only so much we're going to do to take care of things if they're going away, if they're going in a direction that we don't think is prosperous for them in the long run. You understand? If they make bad choices, that's one thing. Do we have to finance those bad choices? Now, my will is for them to be well and successful, right? And, and rich. I'd love to have my children be rich. Wouldn't you? Especially if your children love you, then they can take care of you later on. That's how it's supposed to work. But... If they succeed, and I'm not talking about my kids, I'm talking about anybody. And looks asking you to look at God as Father. He wants you well. He wants you rich. He wants you. He loves you. He wants what every good parent wants for his kids. But if your success and your health and your abundant provision is going to keep you moving down a path away from Him, what's more important? Is it just possible that God will allow something to come into your life that is more likely to push you back toward him? Absolutely. And to say nothing of the fact that as long as you're moving away from him, you're outside that, that dome of protection that God promises to those who are in his will. That's all stuff that's down the road. If you're right with God, of course it's God's will that you be healed. I'm letting it, I, I, there's so much stuff, I, I, just, I should just say, come back for more, but there's one thing, I've said it before, I'll say it again, and I'll teach on it a little more deeply. You have to understand, well, well I referred to when God said, I'll make you sick. Whenever he said that, it was in the context of judgment. Now, I don't know about you, I was already judged in Christ. When God chastens his beloved, he doesn't do that with sickness. When God teaches you a lesson or brings you through a maturing process, he doesn't do that with sickness and disease. Might, it might seem like it. And God can bring something good out of all that junk if we give it to him. But it is always his will to heal. That's who he is. Okay? He's a good God and good parents don't want their kids sick. Now, let me say that again. We need to understand that to be in faith for healing, we must know that the healing we seek is the healing God desires for us. That means there needs to be an expectation for healing. God said, I am the Lord who heals you. And Jesus said, the Father and I are one. Healing belongs to us because of the finished work of Christ. He's the one who purchased it for us. He's the one who qualifies us for it. 
He qualifies us for it. We have the right to expect it, not because of our goodness, but because of his completed work. It's the only thing. I think I shared that recently when I speak. And, I, and part of this is, is kind of exploding in me because, you know, I've been walking through some stuff the last couple months. Uh, praise God, I'm the healed of God. And I thank God that this health journey I've been on isn't, isn't a life or death thing. But I know it's like I'm not where God wants me to be yet. And right in, and here's the thing, and this is me just getting something off my chest. You know, I hope you know, after the years I've been here, I'm not anti-medicine. I'm not anti-doctor. Uh, I always just feel like our first, the first place we go is to God. All right? Uh, and I'll, I don't know if I've shared this for you. When I went into the ER for my uh, appendix, uh, I was sort of counting the hours. You know, I'm old enough and, and educated enough to, to have heard, as many of you had, when if you've got uh, appendicitis, you've got about a 72-hour window to deal with it before things get serious. So I'm counting, and I'm just speaking healing over myself. Thank you, God, for healing me. I thank you for healing me. I, I speak against appendicitis. I speak against infection, blah, 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 blah. Then it gets to be at about that 50-hour uh, mark, that 55-hour mark, and I'm like, I'm going to the ER. And there's nothing wrong with that. And yet, I still felt like I bailed. And here's the problem. For me, not a problem for you. It's, this isn't a doctrinal problem. This is something I wrestle with. Once I start down the medical path, okay, so I had the surgery, and then there's medicine you got to take after the surgery, and then there have been some, proce some procedures since then, and some medicine that goes with that. And then it's like I start thinking about, well, when's this medicine going to kick in? When's this infection going to go away? When's this symptom going to disappear? And you know what I forgot in the middle of that? Me, the pastor of this church, you know what I forgot to do? Speak my healing confessions over myself daily. How many times have I told you that I do that every day? And I wasn't lying, but I stopped. Because I'm starting to remember my prescriptions. Think about this, that, and the other thing. Well, what am I? Now, nothing wrong with medicine, nothing wrong with doctors, but suddenly I'm leaning on them. And it started to come back to me. Thank you, God, for healing me. Thank you, Lord, that because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, and only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, I'm qualified for every good thing you promised the righteous, and you've promised healing to the righteous. You have specifically purchased healing for me with those stripes on the back of Jesus Christ, and therefore, because of that finished work, I declare in agreement with your word, in agreement with that finished work, that I am healed, delivered, manifestly freed from every sickness, every disease, every malfunction, and every disorder in every muscle and every bone, every gland and every organ, every blood vessel, every joint, ligament, tendon, nerve, cell, and tissue of my body, and all the spaces in between. Thank you, God, for healing me. Now, <laughs> that is something we should speak. How long did that take? 30 seconds? 45 seconds? I don't know. Is it, is, is it, I wouldn't, uh, if the doctor put you on a prescription for an antibiotic, uh, you're going to set your, you, you better, unless you've got a really good memory, you better set a reminder. Take that every 12 hours, every 24 hours, whatever he tells you until it's gone, right? Uh, because it's going to work in a particular way. It's supposed to work in a particular way. Well, what's more powerful than an antibiotic? Is the Word of God more powerful? Yeah. And you can't overdose, you can't overdose on it, you can't take it at the wrong time. But you gotta take it, you gotta speak it. And this is where we're, this is another one that's maybe this will go five or six weeks. But it's not just a matter of knowing, not just a matter of believing, but a matter of speaking it. 
Stand up with me. Praise the worship team. You can come on up here. I want you to know that God the Father is our healer because Jesus Christ the Son is our healer. We'll develop this, but the truth is that it is God's will to heal. It is God's will to heal you today, right now. Before we do that, though, think about what I just said. When I start that confession, I start it this way. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, and only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not asking you to get saved so you can get healed. I am saying that the prayer I'm getting ready to pray for the sick, I am praying for believers. My faith, as I lay my hands on you, and I'm getting excited about the manifestations that I believe we're going to see and you're going to feel and experience here today. But those prayers and those words are based on my understanding that the people I'm praying for are entitled to, not because of their goodness, they are qualified for the things that I am speaking over them. Why? Because they are in Christ. If you are in Christ, this belongs to you already. If you are not in Christ, you can be in Christ. How long does that take? Uh, about that long. If you desire to be a child of God, now there's much more at stake here than healing, believe me. We're talking eternal life. We are talking eternal life in heaven or eternal life away from the presence of God. Hell. We're talking about salvation. And this isn't a process. This is a decision you make to respond to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. When you realize, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself any more than I can heal myself. That's why Jesus came. If you could save yourself, God the Father would not have put his son through what he put him through any more than those parents over in Royal would have put their son through what, he, what, what they went through, what, what he went through. They didn't do that, you understand. But that's how once you understand. It's the father heart of God watching his son being tortured and killed on the cross. Why? Because there was no other way to, than, to save you than that. Loves you that much, but you have to respond to it. And only by responding to it can you be saved. But when you are saved, you are not just saved from hell. You are part of the body of Christ. You are in him, and you are entitled to every good thing. Every good thing that God showers on Jesus belongs to us because we are in him. Do you think there's sickness in the literal body of Christ? Do you think there's sickness in the presence of God at the throne? Of course not. Health is our portion. Divine healing is our portion. And so much more. So my first, my first question, and I want you to wait another second. If you need to make Jesus Christ your Lord, do that right now. I'm going to pray really quick, and then you come up here. Uh, and then, uh, in fact, I'll do it this way. I'm going to pray that prayer. And as soon as I'm done praying, if you desire to be saved, you come right up here. Don't stand anywhere else in line. You stand right up here in front of this pulpit. Everybody else, if there is sickness in your body, pain in your body, whether it's something that started this morning, last night, last week, last year, 10 years ago, I don't care how long you've been fighting it, I don't care if you woke up speaking the word, I've already done my faith confession for the day. I 
am asking you, because I believe God has spoken, and I believe that God desires to manifest his healing power, to come up with a sense of expectation, ready to receive your healing today. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the finished work of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody who does not know you as Father because they don't know Jesus as Lord, that you would convict them of their need and grant them the wisdom, the boldness, and the humility to come and receive that free gift of eternal life today, now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you also for the presence of your Holy Spirit, for the gifts of the Spirit, for gifts of healing. And for the direction you're bringing this congregation at this moment, thank you that the power of God is present to heal. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website, at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.